0: Welcome from me, John Strickland, to the first in a series of podcasts looking at our future skies in partnership with AIG. We do this as the air transport industry is going through one of the most challenging times it's ever experienced with the aftermath of the COVID pandemic. We have current military conflict and significant economic challenges as well. And we're also seeing at the same time, the political outlook in many parts of the world is changing. And of course, the elephant in the room, as far as aviation is concerned, is the topic of the environment and sustainability. So there have never really been so many catalysts for change for the industry. And necessity, as they say, is of invention. So I'm going to be talking with a number of leading players from different parts of the industry, exploring a range of views on where we might be headed, not so much in the immediate year or so, but in the next 10 or 20 year period. And I'm delighted that my first guest on this podcast is CEO of SAS Scandinavian Airlines, Anko van der Deerth. Now, Anko has a wealth of diverse experience. He's a Dutchman. He started at KLM. He's subsequently been at Qatar Airways, Aeromexico, Avianca, and now SAS. And as a Dutchman, I think it's fair to say he has clear views on a number of ways in which he believes the industry is going to be permanently changed. Uh, So welcome, Anko.
1: John, thank you very much. Really uh, um, a pleasure talking to you again. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: Let's kick off, first of all, before we get to the broader issues at stake by by talking about uh, your current airline, SAS, giving, giving us a little bit of an update there, because you could say SAS was born in a, a kinder, more gentler time from aviation's point of view. In the 1940s, it was a vision of the governments of Denmark, Norway and Sweden. But today's landscape is really very different. And since you joined as CEO in 2021, you're really having to take the airline through some quite significant changes.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's that's true. I think beautiful airline, fantastic brand, of course. Just the the, the Scandinavian um, in, in all of us, I, I guess, is also quite pronounced. Um, the countries got together, like you said, um, shortly after the war and figured out that they wouldn't really need three separate airlines, but wanted rather one airline to unite and um, signed almost like an an open skies of online lecture, right? I mean, it, this was really um, quite innovative at that point. I think recently um, the COVID era, in a way, has hit us also hard. We are now going through our own, as you have seen, restructuring plan, um, and, and that's of course also the things you, you refer to, and and trekking well against it, right? Plenty of more things that we have to go through. Of course, it's just an nine to 12 months process typically that you that you go through um we are the first european airline to file for chapter 11 and i'm sure we'll talk about it but that of course is is framing it for us in the right way right it it provides us with more tools it provides us with at least those mechanics or those tools that we need to get out uh, to get out as a much better airline which i'm absolutely confident
0: that we will and yes, as you said, uh, ANCO SAS has had its own challenges, not least its origins, but in you know, the backdrop that I described a, a few moments ago of uh, the industry overall has been beaten up heavily in the last couple of years. So now let's look at some of these broader challenges and and what your views are on what they may may mean for the industry. COVID, of course, I think it's fair to say was the biggest shock ever experienced by the aviation industry. And perhaps my first question to you, Anko, if we look back on that, do you think there are learnings uh, ways the ways the industry could do much better second time around on the assumption we are going to have another pandemic sometime?
1: Yeah, well, I think that the, the learnings for all have been, of course, right? It's look, this is fixed cost versus variable cost. How quickly can you adjust? How quickly can you adapt to a new reality? And that new reality for, for most airlines has now been two and a half years, right? I mean, little that we know, of course, back in March 2020. And I think it was really um, few of us probably would have predicted that at least COVID itself would last two and a half years. I mean, the recovery was always going to last years, right? We knew that. But um, but I think hardly anyone would have thought that by right now, late 2022, <laughs> um, that that we would be uh, that we would be here and, and and still dealing with in a way waves and shock waves of of COVID. Um, so yeah, I think the learnings are, are very much, um, in my view, probably two three groups. Right, so low cost airlines have of course done. Fairly well, um, right? On r- relatively speaking, at least their balance sheets um, are far more intact than pretty much every single other um, airline group or airline in the world. Um, very nimble, very agile. Were able to adjust far quicker, and, um, and I think in in our cases, uh, right? Let's call it legacy airlines. Um, It was really depending on how much, I I think, could you still drive through partnerships? How much were you still able to drive through in some way or or way, shape or form in in a way through your consolidated efforts? And then, yeah, what further hits were there along the way, right? I mean, I think we were preparing ourselves for further ramp up in 2022 and then Omicron hits and then you get the Russian airspace closure. Yeah, you can't really prepare for it. Right? That that is that is so difficult. So I think, certainly in the case of airlines in Northern Europe, let's say, I mean we're not the only ones. Um, that Russian airspace closure has been then almost the nail in the coffin if you like right it's a bad expression in, uh, with, with with what's going on in the world but you get my point right it's a straw that broke the camel's back let's put it that way and so um yeah very difficult to to um, to predict how long it will last therefore definitely for the future you want to build in the flexibility you want to build in that agility not just on the operational level, but very much also on, on the financial level. And that is what we're trying to do in a way, right? I think most of us are trying to prepare for a future in which we are more nimble.
0: And I think in some ways you, you've answered a, a, the next question I was going to put to you, Anka. You talked there about balance sheets. You talked about the strength of the... Low-cost carriers in particular against an array of challenges. And I was going to ask you, do you think there are ways that airlines can better handle this, this nightmare scenario, which effectively they went through, of having their revenues cut off entirely for incredibly long periods?
1: Yeah, look, it was very tough for most of us. Um, I was at that point at a different airline, but I'm, I still stand behind the decisions that we took there, right, at Avianca. In a way, the Warren Buffett uh, statement, right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think, in a way, many airlines took decisions straight away, and they went in quite deep, um, right? I think Avianca was one of them. We were, I think, at that point, the first to file for Chapter 11, and that allowed us, right? It's it's bankruptcy protection, right? It's not bankruptcy; it's bankruptcy protection, and it allowed us, right? It gave us access to tools that we didn't have before. Um, So I think that's definitely one thing that for let's call it future generations, because I really don't hope to ever live this again, right? a pandemic as we as we've had in our lifetime, at least, but uh, but never, never let a crisis go to waste. Go in immediately. And certainly when you don't know how long it will take. And there was. Looking back, it's so obvious now, that right? there was really reasons to believe that we didn't know how long it was going to last because there was no vaccine ready. So it was always going to be longer than in a way anyone expected. Um, so again, go in, take your decisions, take them straight away. I think some airlines in the world and um, right will will still be struggling for the years to come if you didn't take those decisions. And if you haven't taken those decisions by now, then I think you're really in a, in a very precarious spot for the next few years. The second, the second thing there is, and I've always been quite amazed. I, I've particularly not liked the decisions coming out of some governments and not allowing, for instance, further consolidation. Right, I've been quite vocal about that as well. I think Europe. Let me focus on that. The European Commission and European countries. I. I get why those restrictions on, for instance, M and A were put in place when, when you get state bailouts and what have you. But if there's anything to learn again, also I think from a political perspective is you yeah, had drive a policy towards a healthier industry altogether.
0: And that's one aspect of government and a very important one, I think, Anko. but also more broadly, a government posed its own challenges for the industry uh, and not one unique government, pretty well every government around the world. We saw so many uh, incoherent and erratic changes of policy. Do you think it's realistic to expect, again, as part of the wider learnings, that we could get a more consultative and a more consistent government approach to some major medical pandemic uh, emergency like this in the future?
1: Well, one would certainly hope so, because I, I agree with you, John. I mean, it was it was a nightmare. We had to, you, you really did not know what rule applied to whatever country at that point, right? So, in a way, for Abianca, it was um, somewhat easier at that point. All of our hubs were closed. All of the airspace of those countries at least was closed. So that was, yeah, well, at some point, easier to deal with. But it still took a few weeks before you got there, and it was it, it was an absolute nightmare dealing with it. And then, of course, opening up in all those different countries, and right, there's there's still all these rules. Again, it's late 2022. Sorry, it's <laughs> late 2022 by now, and we're still dealing with with countries that are that are having um, yeah different rules and regulations when it comes to COVID. Um, so yeah, you would you would hope at least that um, their that governments have also learned from that, and that there will be far more of a coherent approach next time. But yeah, let's first hope and pray that there's never going to be a next time, right? But uh,
0: indeed and then of course there's a question of whether travel even has to be locked down in a pandemic uh, it seemed necessary at the time now people are asking questions about whether that made any difference in reality
1: yeah i think I, it's probably not useful that I, that i argue this corner but i i i did raise at some point and also to other other ceos shall we just as an as an industry shall we just lock down ourselves now for, call it, a month, right? Or or, or right, a number of weeks, because um, that way, at least, we would have made sure that there was no argument against the industry altogether, right? Because, hey, it is true that some of this, of course, was transported through um, international passengers, at least. So I, I would caution against it, but I'm pretty sure that some governments will say the next time something like this, like this happens, It'll actually go in harder, but hopefully more targeted, right? If it originates in, in, in a particular country, that maybe there's a severe lockdown for that country for right a short period of, of time and the rest of the world can at least continue. I'm not sure. Once it gets out of the bag, that then there was absolutely no reason to go through what we what we went through, right? Or forcing us to go through what we went through. It's just it was Surreal, you could see that it was everywhere, and there was all these different rules about why well, if you're on a connecting flight, then actually you can transport passengers, but when it's point to point, then you couldn't. And then, I mean, what kind of logic is that, right? So yeah, hopefully we've learned more targeted, shorter, if anything is needed at that point, but once it's spread, then just continue and right, work on other solutions.
0: And turning to a different aspect of this, Anko, one thing we saw when demand did start to come back, it's come back in a very strange way. You know, it was not the type of demand and the mix of traffic we had before the pandemic. We had airlines historically, some of them making money out of premium cabin business customers, which now seems it may be changing. We've seen a very strong surge in leisure traffic, which may or may not be price sensitive what shape do you think demand is going to be what kind of traffic is going to come back is it going to be significantly different you think in the decades ahead from what we've known up to the pandemic beginning
1: yeah well decades ahead i think that's that's a very difficult question right a long way to a forecast yeah that's a that's a very long uh, that's a very long path right but um, but but look let's let's look i, I fully agree leisure is bounced back i think it shows that people want probably two things you, you, people want to enjoy life Right after all, and that does include visiting other places and right looking around what's going on in the rest of the world. I've always been a big fan of travel, and that's why I'm in this industry. I really am. It it is about connecting people. It is about connecting cultures. It is about the beauty of a flight that takes you. I mean, look for us. Right within a matter of hours, you're in a completely different part of the world. Right whether you go south, right weather-wise, culture-wise, food-wise. I mean, it's just stunning, right? Fantastic. And only flight can give you that. So I think that is something that people will always aspire to and will will always do in a way, right? Whether it was Hannibal or Marco Polo or Columbus, right? We've always wanted to go out and visit other parts of the world and that will continue. I do think that on the corporate side, we we are cautious for corporate, it's called medium-term demand. I am revising my own forecasts upwards. Um, We do think that also corporate is bouncing back really well. But I still think that because of sustainability and because of rights, we have seen now that digital works and we have seen that all these companies have invested in digital solutions, that probably there's going to be somewhat of an impact on corporate travel. And yeah, then I do think that the implications for our industry is that if leisure is therefore relatively more important going forward, then you also have a far peakier type of distribution of your traffic throughout the year, right? I mean, then then your holiday periods, including weekends, will be relatively more important, at least for the likes of airlines such as us, right? I mean, SES was predominantly a business airline, and and again, for the reasons that we just spoke about, I think leisure is going to be more important, and it means a different demand profile, and it means That we need to have a different, in a way, resource planning um, profile as well.
0: And talking of resource planning, Anko, one of the other big challenges that perhaps came left of field, very unexpectedly uh, this summer, as that demand did come back in such a a strong way, has been manpower. You know, the industry has been caught out across the board: airlines, airports, uh, other business partners. Do you think the industry actually still remains sufficiently attractive in terms of career opportunities, in terms of the paying conditions that it offers, or, or is that going to require a rethink for the future?
1: No, I think we will be, and we will also have to be um, quite surprising still in many ways that, that the entire ecosystem couldn't deliver on the call it customer promise for at least the last summer, right? Forget the, uh, yeah, forget call it maybe labor disruption and what have you, right, on, on particular strikes that we've seen at, uh, right left, right, center. But look, it's not just about pay, I think, on the lower end of the scale. When I look at very good and well-run companies that I don't think have pay issues like Airbus, who are still struggling with delivery delays and right, find it hard to ramp back up. And that's not just because of spare parts or components or right, materials or supply chain issues. Then, then I do think we need to get. Um, it's it's far broader than just I think a salary issue at maybe the lower end of the scale. That's that's my point. Now we haven't done ourselves a great service, right? By, it's been rough. It's been rough in the industry, right? It's been rough for two and a half years at least now, where there, where we haven't been able to provide certainty to let's call it new joiners or newcomers or people coming out of right other jobs that want to maybe hop over to the airline industry so i think that will be far more stable in 2023 and beyond i i, I really do think so one of the reasons again is when i look at for instance sas yeah short term of course a challenge to go through a restructuring after call it two years of of COVID. But when we go through this and we get our cost levels right, and we then set ourselves up for right future success, and you can grow again, then there is absolutely every reason to be confident about the industry or at least the employer again, right? So I think when we're already looking now for summer 2023, um, we are looking to recruit about a thousand pilots and cabin crew, right, on on, on just those two um, um, labor groups. And so I think as of next year, we'll definitely be far more stable and will be attractive again.
0: And looking also at the structure of the industry, Anco, what about airline business models? We've got a whole variety ranging from full service, low cost, low cost, long haul now, ultra long haul, hub carriers, point to point. What is your Feeling about the the way the shape of the industry is going to evolve in in the years ahead. I mean, you're taking SAS itself through changes in its approach. What about more broadly?
1: Yeah, I think I think we've seen that uh, that clearly the low cost model uh, I think works right, so at least on short haul. Right, narrowbodies low cost has I think proven to work. Um, Europe, United States or Latin America, uh, wh- wherever you go, I think that's a model that definitely is, uh, is there. I think in many ways, the call it network hubs have proven to be more resistant than maybe I thought. It took, of course, a while. But when you look at the majors, both on both sides of the Atlantic at least, Um, they've come out fairly well right reporting at least also some profits again right will be in a position to further grow i'm still not convinced on long-haul low cost um, because if that is about putting in some white bodies no matter what price you can get those white bodies for right now right talking again about seasonal or seasonality and more pronounced leisure seasonality It's great, you're gonna make money in July and August, and then what are you gonna do with the aircraft, right? So I think that is a structurally challenge or structural challenge for long haul, low cost. And I I remain, um, yeah, remain unconvinced about that. I think for us, let's call it the somewhat more, maybe independence or medium sized airlines that are not really low cost and not a major, call it that way, we, we have our work cut out for ourselves. And that's why we're going through this restructuring. And that's why we are in taking, I think, more profound decisions on on, on our cost levels as well. But we won't be a low cost, but I think at least we can lower our costs substantially and we can build in some of that flexibility. And that's at least what we're doing to be in a much better shape. And then the question is, and that isn't a question for SAS, but I do think that further consolidation needs to happen right, as a whole. So I want to make it clear again, that's not necessarily press yes but I'm a believer that uh, consolidation in the end is what this industry still needs.
0: Well I'm certainly with you Anko on long haul low cost Uh, uh, there's little doubt it's popular with customers but the ability to to actually make money on a sustainable basis I think very much the the jury is still out and uh, just another aspect of this uh, what about startups Uh, right now we're seeing a lot of startups because there's a, a, a plentiful supply of good new and used aircraft available but it's it's an industry that attracts people in they always think that something different can be done would you be hopeful that some of them might uh, uh, take root and bring something new that is sustainable for the future
1: yeah time will tell with all the challenges that we're having here i'm still very happy that we have the market share the capacity share the people the team the processes and everything lined up and that we don't have to that sense reinvent completely the wheel or or start up right from from scratch look like you said it's um it's sexy right starting up your own airline and right great you have right certainly in 2020 and 2021 you had access to cheap aircraft and maybe labor was available um i think many of them will rethink whether this was a great decision come come winter right i mean winter is coming fuel at 100 base of exchange uh, going against many of them at least very challenging right and yeah i i think um to say at least the jury is still out on many of them time will tell i i certainly don't think that all of those startups all of the 2020 startups um will be here in uh, in in well a matter of maybe months but
0: years you know, I'm a bit of a skeptic too, and I'd like to think one or two will make it. But that classic statement about how do you make a, a small fortune start with a large fortune and yeah. invest in an airline, I think it still applies. It's like your own airline, yeah. absolutely, it still applies. Let's let's turn to the the elephant in the room that I mentioned in my introduction, Anko, and of course I'm talking about the environment. So that issue is not going to go away, and certainly whether we do or don't have to live through another pandemic Uh, this is a a climate issue for our planet Uh, do you think given that the industry is inevitably in the spotlight that it first of all can actually move beyond claims coming from some quarters that it's just greenwashing and saying it wants to adapt and uh, play its part in addressing this challenge
1: I think, we, I think we can and we will. I, I, I certainly don't agree to that in the case of SES. I mean, we, we are very real, it's externally audited and we are investing significant uh, amounts of money to also make sure that we get to that next step. Right. Um, I think there is a challenge and that is the mismatch between public perception or maybe the public need, the public want to get to a green future. Um, right, a sustainable future, the same way that, of course, we wanted as leaders in the industry. And on the other side, the technological capabilities, or or even just the short-term supply, for instance, of sustainable aviation fuel, that mismatch is very hard, I think, for us going uh, go, going forward. Um, people, including myself and right many other executives in the airline industry, will want to go much faster. And it's a challenge, right? I mean, it's just because either technologically, like I said, or right on SAF, the, the supply is simply not there. So that I think is something that we have to uh, have to work through. I think what I still see around us is a lot of, yeah, maybe offsetting. And we, we have still one or two elements on offsetting that we are having ourselves as well, but we're rethinking. I think offsetting more and more probably considered to be um yeah not not the real solution let's put it that way uh, right so so we're also rethinking that, but I think everything else that we're doing from investing of course in new technology from from even being part of some of the electrical aviation forefront um right suppliers or 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 um startups there um to of course investing and spending heavily on sustainable aviation fuel, i think is real we are. Um, in 2025, we had, for long, had our target that we wanted to be minus 25% by 25 versus a 2005 baseline, and we're making that. We're going to surpass that. So we're also now with the board, in uh, in 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 a, a process of um, coming up with new targets. First of all, for right that short term. So what more can we do, knowing that we will beat that 2025 target, and then having a 2030 target out there, right? So. There will, of course, be sustainable targets that will be far more aggressive than what we've had so far. We are investing, so also in SAS Forwards, there is significant money dedicated towards that path. But yeah, once again, a challenge to really match what we would want to do already tomorrow.
0: Uh, you've touched on uh, quite a number of the key elements there, Anko. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little more about the role that aircraft types will play. And improved performance, new technology. And are we talking about bigger planes or smaller planes? You, you mentioned SAS has got a leading role in one of the new regional aircraft projects. And then linked with that as a supplementary question is the alternative power sources. Aircraft are burning kerosene today, uh, but we hear talk about hydrogen, we talk, hear talk about electric, which includes that regional arena that I mentioned. Uh, where does all that sit?
1: Yeah, I have a, I have a, and maybe oversimplified view, but at least to keep it, yeah, manageable. I think in our own heads as well. Look, there is indeed there is there is carbon capture. There's hydrogen. Um, Eros has said, of course, that um, that they think hydrogen will be ready right 2035. I really, I really do hope so. Typically, right, whatever year people put out there. Let's see, and let's see whether that's then immediately applicable to all fleets worldwide and all aircraft, right? So, again, when people are talking about 2035, then before you have that ramped up on all aircraft worldwide, I think it's going to take certainly some time. Electric aviation is then one step ahead of all of that. Uh, we are now very close to a Swedish um, startup called Hartz Aerospace they're going from a 19-seater to a 30-seater, and that will entry into service in 2028 20, in low volumes, right? So you have the two challenges there. The number of our aircraft that they will produce in 2028 20, is, of course, limited. And secondly, yeah, the, call it, uh, impact or footprint that that will have in itself, right? 30 seats, it's small. I get that, but we're still excited about it because it is at least real it's a well-funded startup that has right the good team behind it that has signed up with real airlines to produce something in a manageable time frame right 2028 entry into service so hey we have to start somewhere the 19 seater was too small for us we've been in Dialogue with them, of course, constantly. So now there's at least a 30 So And the basis for that aircraft, the design, could be stretched to 40, 50 seats. Okay, right. That's already it. at least in the right direction, right? The trend is, is right. And then the second challenge there is if we have to start producing more, right? Producing more of those aircraft. What can you do with those aircrafts, right? They're, I can already, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you can ask me. So, so a 30-seater, yeah, a 30-seater, I think it's far more important to start somewhere. And have that in a relatively short period of time and you can do two things at least with a call it 30 40 50 seats right i mean that is either you're going to fly to destinations that are close in and make them completely sustainable or you even open up some new destinations right i mean the northern parts of sweden for instance secondary tertiary cities that you cannot connect at the moment um secondary tertiary norway high up in norway it is perfect aircraft for that, right and so let's give that a try and then to finish it off, like I said, right? If you if you walk it back from carbon capture to hydrogen to then electrical aviation to short term, well then it is about it. it's about SAF, right? It is about biofuels, and we're also investing heavily in those. We have partnerships with, for instance, Vattenfall, LanzaTech, and Shell Aviation. Alcohol to jet, for instance, right? It's something that we're investing in with them. Get us more, right? Get us more initiatives. I. I also think that, in a way, get us more funding for those type of startups that will provide us with the supply of aviation fuels. And that is maybe somewhat of a frustration. When you look at the United States, it's very much based on an incentive model, right? They incentivize those startups. And in Europe, it's very much, it is about taxation and it's very much about more complexity there.
0: Well, I think you've taken the words out of my mouth, Anko, because as you said, for long haul flying, there's no immediate solution when it comes to electric or hydrogen. It has to be this sustainable aviation fuels. And as you rightly say, there's a challenge of getting this to scale. Can we get it to scale at what cost? And more broadly, what do you think about getting funding for this? Who is going to pay for it? Is it going to be the aircraft and engine manufacturers? Is it going to be the airlines? Are governments going to take a more active role to help the industry along this road?
1: Yeah, uh, you, you would hope so. Again, that's, that's was my last my last point right there, right? I mm-hmm. mean, the United States at least is taking that approach, and clearly, as airlines, yeah, we're we're looking um, in that sense a bit jealously at what's going on in the United States. Um, you would hope so. It, it needs to happen. I think the other thing that needs to happen there is that passengers themselves, right? I mean, it it requires a customer behavior change. We see very few of our passengers that buy biofuel for instance we have that as an ancillary product it's very easy in your um, in, in our web flow right in your acquisition your purchase flow on, on online for instance what we are seeing is corporate accounts getting real serious we have a corporate sustainability program as well and there people are participating so more and more big corporate accounts are signing up with SES to actually fund their own travel or buy The biofuel on top of their own travel and then can account, of course, that towards their own emission schemes, if you like.
0: And just another aspect of government which uh, took me by surprise, I'm sure the same for you, Anka, recently, and uh, begs the question of what governments are going to do in the future was the recent decision by the Dutch government to put an enormous cap of capacity on Amsterdam Schiphol Airport, not just a temporary cap during the COVID period, but permanently to leave it with levels of capacity lower than it had pre-crisis. That came as a shock. You're you're an ex-KLM man, as I am myself. It it was a shock to the airport, a shock to KLM. Do you think that could be an indicator that we may see other governments decide to take a a leaf out of the same book in the future? Is that a concern we should be uh, ready to fight back against?
1: Yeah, I'm not hearing it anywhere else, as, as, as you, you, you said, right? I'm Dutch, so of course I do follow the Dutch news. I think it's a particular political discussion in the Netherlands. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't heard it anywhere else. I think it's far more about making sure that we get to that sustainable future. No one, in essence, is denying the benefits that travel has. Right, travel as a whole has for society and and, and of course connectivity of economies and right the, the nations as such it's just how to how to get to that sustainable future faster and then then people won't have an issue with it but um, I think uh, yeah like I said I don't hear it elsewhere'm I'm, I'm not seeing it in our case I still, very much here at least and it's been public of course so I can I can say it but the danish government very much wanting to be a future part of SAS, right or a part of the future SAS, and and that's of course under the same header of right connectivity for the nation connectivity for their businesses connectivity for their people and so that doesn't change um, as as much i I yeah, it remains to be seeing John. I uh, yeah, it was surprising to see what, what happened in the Netherlands. Um it's it's clear that part of I think the Dutch know, wealth if you like it has been built on pillars such as Schiphol and K L M and right working together towards connectivity. So um surprising, but I'm so far not seeing or hearing it elsewhere.
0: As, as you say anchor that key economic role that aviation performs we we have to ensure that is kept in focus in in parallel with uh, moving towards that sustainable future just drawing to a close now anchor i'd like to ask you to look into your crystal ball if you will and reflect just a little bit on the changing world that we're living in politically and economically we've touched on some of these themes already but i think we are seeing changes in the dynamics of the world order you could see especially politically, with a shift in many governments from perhaps a more global outlook to a far more nationalistic one, you could say, from that point of view, we're looking at perhaps a a closing world. And then how does that stack up against uh, uh, the outlook of populations, the old world, perhaps closing in and retrenching, and yet the new world, hungry to have experience of travel, which maybe many Western nations have already had?
1: Yeah, no, it, it, great question. Um we spent quite some time here also thinking about that, and we, we've, we've had good discussions here. There was a good, um, I'm not sure where it was, but it was only a few days ago on TV somewhere that I saw this uh, um, yeah, debate around what's in a way the fallout now, what's the implications of the war in Ukraine. And I think the overarching conclusion there was that there will be Political repercussions for at least twenty-five to potentially fifty years, right? And it is something that we're seeing, um, I think, around us. There was uh, there was under Scandinavian companies, there was a question on: okay, what does this mean um, for us? Right, the war in the war in Ukraine, and one of the questions was specifically specifically around globalization and 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 supply chains, and very much the direction for those companies. The answer that those companies gave was. Well, there will be more regional sourcing. There will be more home sourcing in a way, right? So you you will want to control your supply chains again closer to home because what we have seen now is, of course, a a major dent in 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 flows for manufacturing companies in in, in many ways as well, right? So that was already because of COVID, but then certainly because of because of Russia and Ukraine. Um, so that is one of the things I think that will happen. Um, and there with indeed globalization is, yeah, I don't know, taking a beating is probably a bit too much, right? But it's, it's definitely having an impact and that will have an impact on the likes of the airlines. If you look at SAS, Russian airspace closed is certainly not helping to grow our Asian business, right? We flew up to 30 frequencies a week to Asia. We're currently flying one. Uh, we've just taken a decision, at least for this winter season, to not go into Japan. Um, we probably will be back there right, in, in the future, but at least not this winter season. And then, like I said, we have to rethink, okay, well, regional supply chains, if that's going to be closer to home, or if they're going to go from global supply chains to regional supply chains, what does that mean? Also, with Eastern Europe, still somewhat shaky, right? and And, and can we then focus more heavily on Eastern Europe? That would have been the logical place to go, but, hey, Ukraine and, and what spillover will there be? Um, very, very difficult. Clearly also at least a short-term, medium-term impact on fuel and exchange rates. But we live in countries here, and NSCS is, is, is an airline that has Swedish, Norwegian, and the Danish kroner. And, yeah, definitely the Swedish kroner has come under pressure with everything that's happened uh, over the last over the last six months yeah a challenge definitely on the uh I, I think on a much more medium longer term as well it's not just this winter season that i think is uh is is potentially going to be a challenge but it's far longer than that
0: no d- definitely weighty issues there to uh reflect on and very imprecise ones to work out uh where they take us anchor, along with uh, what we were saying about the pandemic any other future risks that you'd point to, Anko, uh, things which airline managements are going to have to try to navigate their way around.
1: No, I think
0: uh, <laughs> that's enough. I hope, this,
1: I hope this is enough, uh, John. <laughs> I hope, uh, exactly. Globalization to regionalization, uh, future pandemics. You've touched upon labor shortages and, of course, supply chain issues uh, to ramp up uh, production across the ecosystem. Um, let's
0: leave it at that, shall we? Because that's, uh, that's enough to chew on. That suits me, Anko. Well, listen, uh, we are pretty well out of time anyway. It's been great to talk to you about these weighty issues and to hear your reflections built on your own very wide experience from uh, around the aviation world and in many parts of the world. So Anko van der Verth, CEO of SAS, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much.
0: Thanks to you for listening. I hope we've provided you with some valuable insight and food for thought today. I'll be back soon with the next in the series. But for now, from me, John Strickland, is goodbye the views and opinions expressed in this podcast series are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of american international group inc or its subsidiaries or affiliates aig any content provided by our speakers are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion ethnic group club organization, company, individual or anyone or anything. AIG makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness or validity of any information provided during this podcast series and will not be liable for any errors, omissions or delays in this information or any losses, injuries or damages arising from its use.